This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Equity Mike. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you There is no hotter conversation than the Australian housing market, and boy, do we have an interview today. Welcome back to another episode of Equity Mates Investing Podcast, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. And whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. Now, if you've joined us for the very first time, a huge welcome. If you're getting up to speed with the basics, you can check out our Get Started Investing podcast. But otherwise, my name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you? I'm very good, Bryce. Good to be here. This was a red-hot interview on a red-hot topic in the Equity Mates community, the price of a house. The price of a house, that's it. We were fortunate enough to have, at last minute, Matt Barry, founder and CEO of Freelancer Limited, in the studio, ripping through off the back of a a presentation keynote speech at the Sydney Morning Herald's Sydney 2050 Summit. Uh, He came in to give us his thoughts on the housing market, why it's so hot and where it's going to go from here. So Matt Barry, uh, if people aren't familiar with his writing, he's never been one to shy away from uh, sharing his view on Sydney. Uh, He wrote quite a notable piece um when the lockout laws first happened in back in what like 2014 Mm. um that uh did the rounds and uh this keynote speech i didn't i i read the whole thing it will include the link to it in the show notes it's incredibly well researched and it's incredibly scathing on sydney Mm. and australia Mm. so we had to get matt in to ask him to give us the central thesis It is a fascinating interview. Cannot wait to crack into it. But uh, we are approaching tax time. And just a reminder that uh, you don't actually have to sit around and uh, fiddle through all your spreadsheets and figure out when you bought, when you sold, what your capital gains are. There is an easier way and that is through ShareSite. It's a platform that I use to manage my portfolio and track my performance. There is a link in the show notes, ShareSite dot com slash equity mates for you to sign up now if you have less than 10 holdings it's free to sign up you can plug in all of your holdings and get great performance tracking of your portfolio and tax reporting if you have over 10 holdings uh, there is an annual premium the good news is with our link you'll get four months for free if you sign up to the premium plan so just 
jump into the show notes, use our link and uh, be smarter at tax time with uh, ShareSite. But Ren, without further ado, this is an epic interview, one that we really enjoyed. A lot of energy, a lot of insight, well-researched, as you said. Let's get stuck in. Well, Matt Barry, welcome to Equity Mates. Thanks for having me, guys. Now, uh, we're going to cover two big topics, uh, Australian housing and AI. This is going to be an absolutely jam-packed episode. Cannot wait to get through this. But Matt, you recently uh, delivered the opening keynote for the Sydney Morning Herald's Sydney 2050 Summit. And the keynote was titled The Great Australian Scream. Now, before we get to the housing points, let's start with how much Sydney and also Australia have really changed over the last 20 years. Can you kind of help us uh, paint, get some context. Well, I'm not sure how old your listeners are, but you know, I'm I'm getting there. And uh, <laughs> in the 2000s, like let me tell you, year 2000, we had the Sydney Olympics, and the city was alive. It was electric in the lead up to the games. Everyone was so excited. We we're emerging as an international city. The nightlife was, I think, the best in the world. Uh, you go out anywhere, any day of the week. You had things on. Um, it was just so exciting. Uh, we won um, Best City in the World Awards for in many different categories um, and so forth. And just over the last 20 years, we've really stuffed it up in a, <laughs> in a big way. I mean, that's basically the, the, the kind of my opening keynote in a way uh, for, for City 2050. Really, like, really set the tone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the greatest city in the world in many regards. You've got the people, you've got the, the, the weather, the beaches, the, you know, the lifestyle. It's fantastic. But... It feels like you're playing a video game on maximum difficulty sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You rock up to your favorite restaurant. Oh, it's closed down forever, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, wow, I want to buy a house. Hmm, okay, let's do the math on this. Doesn't really work out. Or what have you. So it's just, you know, lots of great things going for the city, but um, we've got a real scenario right now. I want to go out past 1 a.m. Can't do it. Yeah. Like, why can't I get a meal after 9 p.m.? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not hard. Why is my beer now cost $14 down the pub? You know, mm-hmm. I was at the. The sheaf earlier in the week, just trying to get a steak for dinner at seventy dollars was the, the yeah, price for a special. Wild. Yeah, the special, a, a special, <laughs> special. The special was seventy dollars, right? So, you know, pub at the steak at the pub uh, index is, is is climbing very rapidly. It's it's great, a lot higher than seven percent CPI. I think it's running at about a hundred percent year at the moment. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And, and you really used uh, the that setup, uh, how much Sydney has changed, to lead into um, the cost of living crisis, but really. The the housing crisis and um, you had some fascinating, uh, I guess, stats and numbers around just how bad it is. Can you talk us through the state of Australia's housing market? Well, I mean, the root of all evil in this country is the astronomical price of housing and that permeates, you know, once you understand that and you understand that all, you know, the, 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 the ramifications of that in terms of costs and wages and, and, and so on, you know, it really is the problem that's that, that's the root of all pro- problems, you know, in this country. Um, socioeconomists say that if the average or the median house is, divided by the median household income is three times or less, housing is affordable. And that's like our parents used to say back in, you know, 1982, I bought a house for three times mm-hmm. my income, right? Yeah. Between three and four times, it's unaffordable. Four and five times, it's severely unaffordable. And five times or greater, you know, astronomically unaffordable. Sydney at the moment is 13.3 times, right? And it's the second most expensive housing market in the world outside of Hong Kong, which is a nice attractive little island that's extremely dense 
uh, very small next to the most populous nation in the world. Mm. So why would Australia, a relative backwater, you know, 10 to 20 hours by air from really any major action around the world, have the most expensive housing in the world outside of Hong Kong? Great beaches. <laughs> great be- well, there are great beaches good, other places. Good stakes. Good, good stakes. Good stakes. <laughs> no, yeah. no, exactly. But um, you've, got to, you've got to wonder why. Well, you know, it's not because we're making uh, any more babies. Um, so every uh, female on the planet needs to have 2.1 children to maintain the population. Australia is about 1.5, 1.6, and in fact hasn't been above 2.1 since 1975. And wages are not going up mm. at the rate that housing is going up. In fact, at the moment, uh, wages are in the greatest um, decline in real terms, purchasing power terms ever. And in fact, for 20 to 24-year-olds in the last year, um, the real purchasing power of wages went back to 2008. Wow. Now, the price of everything else didn't. So what's going on? Like, why does Australia have some of the most expensive housing in the, in the world? Sydney is the second most expensive. Australia, pretty much all the major um, capital city markets, including places like the Gold Coast, Wing Caribbee, and so forth, they're all in like the top. 20 or so in the international housing survey by Demographia. Mm. So why? Why? Well, why? Well, the answer is because the successive Australian governments, for the last um, 61 years, Australian house prices have gone up 86 times, (laughs) right, in 61 years. Um, uh, And the reason why is because politicians have chosen uh, a path of easy, relentless growth rather than talking to the engineers, the scientists and the entrepreneurs about what to do to grow the economy and actually you know, build a diversified and strong and complex and sophisticated economy. And instead, they've chosen to go the easy, relentless path of growth and that is by pumping the housing market to the mother of all bubbles. And when I mean the mother of all bubbles, it is the mother of all bubbles, right? Um, in 2008, in the global financial crisis in the United States, Australians were already twice as indebted to, the, to, to housing than the Americans. And the Australian banks were twice as exposed to residential mortgages, mortgages as the US banks, three times the British banks and four times the Hong Kong banks. And Hong Kong has got the most expensive property market in the world. So, so what they've done is just successive policy after policy after the policy of, well, how do we run the economy? Well, we... What do we do in the economy? We export, we export dirt, dead trees, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and now gas from those dead trees yeah. and gold, right? So the dirt being iron ore, mm. going to China uh, to build apartments in a big construction boom to pump their GDP mm. in some places, cities that don't get lived in, mm. right? Coal to uh, China to burn to make that steel. Uh, to build those apartments into Japan uh, in the wake of Fukushima when they shut down the nuclear reactors, although those nuclear reactors are coming back online, although coal is needed everywhere now. And we've been lucky until recently. And then gold, because uh, central banks around the world keep printing money, so the gold every year goes up about 9%. I mean, if you want something to invest in, just buy gold. Mm. You know, 9% every year, just about every currency in the world, because central banks can't help themselves but to print money, which is effectively another form of taxation. And then gas, because you need to power Mm. energy, right? What we have done for this easy, relentless growth is to have one of the world's leading and by flip side of that, insane immigration programs. So we bring a lot of people into this country, an astronomical 
number of people in this country, the point where now in uh, New South Wales, for example, I think uh, the stats are currently that 33% of people um, have both their parents born here and I think 43% have both parents born overseas. Wow. Oh, wow. Right? Wow. It's, um, yeah, and the, the country is something like 30% of people in uh, the country were born overseas. And I think in New South Wales, it's 35%, right? So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a huge uh, program. In New South Wales, a population of only 8 million, 730,000 people are brought in, uh, were brought in last year, 730,000 population of 8 million, 450,000 moved out because it's too expensive to live here, mostly to Queensland or the country mm. and some overseas. And um, they're doing that because it keeps house prices up. The more people you've got in a certain area, the, the more um, the house prices stay up and, and, and go up. And the path of easy, relentless growth that the, that the governments have had is to keep blowing a, the biggest bubble you can possibly blow. And now we're at the point where it is insane. I think, was it yesterday in the paper or today? You know, there's a dog box out in Erskineville for $4 million. Yeah, so right? I mean, how does that make any sense? At $1.2 million, which was the median household price you know, a couple of months ago, it's mathematically impossible to pay off with the median household income. I think the crazy thing with that as well, if we're looking at the same one, only two years ago, it was bought for $2 million bucks. Yes. So it's up. They've made they've cleared over $2 million, excluding tax, of course, mm. $2 million bucks in two years in Erskineville. It doesn't make any sense. Mathematically, it doesn't make any sense. Like I'm sure it was Erskineville or something like Marrickville or something like that. But um, what, what's a good wage? I mean, the, the median wage is about $94,000 a year where your take-home is about 5900 a month mm. right after tax on a $1.2 million um, mortgage at the current rates. I think it's close to 7000 over seven grand. Yeah, yeah 7000 right. You know you've got a problem when Suicide Prevention Australia is doing a media event outside the Reserve Bank of Australia about interest rates. That's crazy. Yeah, that's Right, because crazy. they said today that 40% of Australians in the last 12 months know someone that's killed themselves. Right, you know you've got a problem. When, yeah. when the Suicide Prevention you know, um, non-profit is out, the front of the Reserve Bank, yeah, doing a media. Mm. Without, uh, I, I want to jump. We'll probably jump into the politics in a moment. But yeah. so I'm going through this process right now and um, getting more and more turned off as the process continues around buying a house and having these sort of conversations. And it all started for us when we went, and we've spoken about this on the show. When you go to the bank themselves and they just look at your income and just times it by five and go, "That's what you can borrow." There's no like true like serviceability on that like can you afford it from a cash flow point of view it's just like an immediate wow whopping here's here's your cash go for it and so people are just put in these situations where they're over leveraging like crazy because the banks are just if i feel like just giving money where money's not necessarily due in a way if that makes sense like there's so many aspects to that right the first is just the extreme amount of exposure that the banks have to residential mortgages so the commonwealth bank of australia for example 639 billion dollars of residential mortgages 150 billion of uh, business debt and about 17 billion of consumer finance you would probably be surprised to know that commonwealth bank has a bigger market capitalization than goldman sachs right australian bank Goldman Sachs, something a bit strange about that. Australia is also rated by Transparency International as the worst property laundering market in the world. Really? In the world, because you can buy a house in Australia and the real estate agents and anyone involved in the property transaction don't KYC you. Mm. They don't check your ID to find out who's actually purchasing the house or 
you know, wow. who the ultimate beneficial holder is of a, of a trust and what have you, right? And and then and then the funny thing about that is, we you know at the moment the Chinese have been a little bit in reverse, but they've been a big driver of house prices. Obviously, coming in, going to university, student visas, and then buying houses. It's illegal in China to send money more than fifty thousand dollars a year U.S. overseas. It always it has been for a long time. Um, it's also illegal to own property overseas. Mm. Yet, mm, strangely, from Auckland to Vancouver. There seems to be a lot of houses being bought, right? Mm-hmm. So that so that has been a big stimulus of the housing market. The banks have gorged themselves on it. We've got a nice little flywheel that's been set up with the banks, whereby we've got superannuation, and superannuation is one of the one of the things that's really driven um, uh, GDP per capita wealth in this country. I mean, Australia is a relatively wealthy nation, although that's going to rapidly t- deteriorate in the current circumstances. But uh, superannuation is being a big driver of that. But the flywheel is the fact that. Every month, I think it's like 11% now, the Australian wage bill flows into superannuation. 20-something percent of that goes, uh, no, sorry, that, I can't remember, it's like 16%, I think, something, something like 16%, it goes directly into property. And then there's 20-something percent going into equities of which the big four plus Macquarie Bank are around 22% of mm. the ASX 200. So basically, the way the math works out is every month, Australian wages, 11% go into super and effectively, five percent goes into mm-hmm. pumping the bank Proper. stocks, and yeah. the, the bank market capitalizations go up. They can lend more money to guess what residential mortgages, mm. and it's 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 extreme. And um, yeah, they not they weren't checking documentation. Uh, there was a big scandal that um, people were supplying documents that were photoshopped and you know fake degrees and 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 this that the other, and you know, just gorging themselves on this and. What they didn't expect was one of the greatest hiking uh, cycles for the Federal Reserve going from basically zero to negative interest rates to, to five, five. And that caught everyone by surprise. It also caught the Reserve Bank by surprise. They lost $50 billion on their portfolio of half a trillion of Australian government um, bonds. Mm. So the Reserve Bank of Australia is a negative equity and effectively insolvent. Um, if there's any other business to be insolvent. That's all right. They can just print more, though. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that, 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 that's exactly their argument, is they yeah, can print yeah, more, yeah. right? So, but they're in no position to bail anything out mm. at this point. And we're only, only, just got, only just begun. I mean, the, you know, the official inflation rate's 7%, but everyone knows it's not 7%. You know, the schooner of beer down the pub's now 13, 14 bucks. In fact, they've got the smart cash registers now. You go there, buy a beer, come back 20 minutes later, the price changed. <laughs> um, you know, you know, I, I, I said, you know, last year the price of a steak down the pub was 38 bucks, then it was 48. And then I wrote the article. Well, I wrote, I wrote the article that was the speech that I, I just gave. Went to the pub, it was $56 for a, a steak. I got the pepper sauce, it was two, two bucks. It's 58 bucks. And I went to the sheaf this week and it was $70 for yeah. the special steak, mm. right? Like, like, you know, you know, your, your landlord's jacked the rent 15%. You know, Bryce uh, just got a 25% increase in his rent. 25, yeah. just bang. Uh, Energy, Energy Australia's up, what, they said 20 to 25%. Australia Post is up 10%. Like, like everybody knows it's not 7%. Yeah, yeah. right? It, it, it feels like there's sort of two separate conversations going on here and it would be good if you could tie them together. One is the, the cost of housing and mm. then the second one is like the cost of everything else. Yeah. And I think in your speech you said that housing is like the original sin or something like that and it's mm. driving costs across the economy. Yeah. Can you help us understand how the housing cost is driving stakes and everything else? Absolutely. Imagine you run a, ca- you run a cafe, you run a restaurant, right? So first of all, you're paying astronomically high rent. In Australia the average per square meter rent down Sydney City uh, in CBD for, for effectively a restaurant is around 
$12,000 per square metre per year. In Manhattan, in New York, it's around $10,000 per square metre per year, and LA is even cheaper. So you're paying astronomically high rent. And then on top of that, you're paying the highest casual wages in the world, which was $21.38, which just went up 5.75% this week or last week. Uh, to $23.23. So you're paying the highest casual wages in the world. Uh, You're paying astronomically high rent. And then you've got to try and find a way to sell something like a steak (laughs) and actually make some money (laughs) on it. And so you're being squeezed. So the cost of everything goes up. The, The businesses sell and therefore you have an inflated cost of living, right? And then it just cascades through the entire system. And it's because of, because of land costs, Mm. right? You had this quote that I, that I want to read out because I thought it was so good from your speech. Cafes can't find workers because despite paying the highest casual wages in the world, locals can't make it work with the cost of living. So we import people and trick them for a while to work in a cafe before they realise they can't afford it either. That's exactly right. I mean, 40% of migrants coming in go work in um, food, beverage and hospitality. And the minimum uh, wage to come into the country, I think, was that $53,000 roughly? Mm. How do you make that? I mean, yeah, I know. You, you, we, we live here, right? How do you make that work and work in a work, work in a cafe, yeah. right? Like, 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 you can't live anywhere near the place you're supposed to work. I think if you look at the minimum uh, wage, and it's a very complicated thing to figure out how much to pay someone to work in a cafe. You've got all these levels and grades. You know, level one, two, three, four, five, six. Grade one, two, three, four, five, six. Do you provide? You know, do you, you know, provide service? Do you provide advanced service? You know, uh, and so mm. forth. There's 122 pay guides that tell us the pri- you know, how to pay everyone, including the concrete industry and the asphalt industry and the funeral industry has different wages from the cemetery industry mm. and what have you. But you know, depending on the time of the day that the person's working, depending on whether it's a public day, a public sorry, a public holiday, or whether it's um, you know, overtime or this at the other, or whether they bring a cheese grater to work or not, it's very, very complicated. So businesses have to pass those costs on, and that's why the cost of living is so high. It's, it's just land costs and money printing during COVID has led to just rampant inflation. If land costs and housing costs are the root of a lot of these problems, then we ask what what's driving that? And it seems like there's probably three key camps that people fall into these Mm. days the first is a housing supply problem Mm -hmm. and you know the afr i think last week did housing supply week and you know albo's got his 10 billion dollar housing future fund Mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of people that are camped in the uh, we need to build more. It's a supply problem. Yeah. Then there's a conversation around mi- migration and the migration numbers that are coming to Australia now are uh, compared to history, just off the charts. Um, and so there's a conversation around that, the amount of people coming into Australia, the demand side is driving it. Then there's a third camp, which you don't hear much about, which is like how we treat housing as an investable asset and the tax treatment of it. And, you know, there was that census number that one in 10 houses in the 2021 census were empty. Um, and so there's that camp. Um, who's right? Is there a bit of truth in all of them? Is anyone blatantly wrong? How, mm. how do we sort of... No, there's only one answer, which is migration. Okay. Uh, it's the only answer. Um, you know, we're bringing in a Canberra-sized population every year. And that's quite a large city, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. On the supply side, we've been gangbusters since the Sydney Olympics in 2000 in building apartment blocks. In fact, it's, it's, it's insane um, the, the rate of building. We're the fourth highest in the OECD for rate of building um, houses, basically apartments. Um, there's a thing called the Ryder uh, 
Levitt Bucknell Index, which tracks cranes around the world <laughs> and where the cranes are. There's 800, as of the last report, which is maybe a quarter old, there's 868 cranes in Australia, of which 365 are in Sydney. I think 189 in Melbourne, but 365 in Sydney. And there's 10 in New York. And there's wow. like 14 in Chicago, I think what? 17 in San Francisco. So wow. they need to build more. <laughs> yeah. So we have all the cranes in the world here, pretty much. I mean, outside of China. And um, the other thing is um, that we haven't been able to increase the number of construction workers and tradies um, for decades, right? It's barely budged. Uh, in New South Wales, the number is about 300,000. I mean, every time the cost of living goes up, the tradies flee to Queensland. And they're fleeing twice as fast now because the Brisbane Olympics are coming and you get paid better rates to go work on that because it's a government project. So the cost cost goes up. The tradies flee to the country or they flee to Queensland or somewhere overseas or what have you. Thailand to live, I don't know, anywhere cheaper, right? <laughs> so so we're, we're not able to build any more houses. We've, we've been at flat chat extreme levels for decades. Um, and in fact, now construction firms are going insolvent. So we had 1,700 insolvencies in the last um, 12 months in construction. Uh, second highest rate of insolvencies outside of food and beverage, trying to get those cafes to work. Uh, you know, someone comes along, uh, does a construction project, uh, sells the properties off the plan, gets locked into a fixed cost uh, so structure because they've sold the property off the plan. And then inflation, you know, materials and wages just keep going up and they go bust. Mm. It's, it's as simple as that. So. It's, it's not possible to build any higher than we're building now. And in fact, the number of housing starts is dropping like yeah. a rock because yeah. the, the banks won't lend anymore. The banks want to see a, anecdotally a 17 to 32% return on investment. They're up to the gills um, in, in residential mortgages so that the lending's tightened up for, for developers. You can't get any more tradies in the country and, and costs are too high. So that's at, a, at its, its end. Right in terms of the ability to, to do anything there. And now interest rates are might go up again today, but they're 3.85. Let me tell you, New Zealand's 5.5, yeah, UK is yeah. 4.5, Canada's 4.5. They're going up. Yeah. They're I going one up. one of the major banks came out yesterday and said they expect them to hit 4.6. Well they're, well, they're playing a game. So all the banks are playing a game because they don't want to spook anyone, right? And so the game is... Well, no, I think we'll kind of we'll peak here. Everything will be fine. And they go, ah, oh, just before the rate interest rate decision, they all come out. Like ANZ came out and said, no, it's probably going to go up this time, twenty five basis points, whatever. And but the next one's going to be, oh, maybe three months away or something rather, whatever. And then and then yeah, we'll pause for a bit and so forth. Um, and then of course, as the, the time comes up, oh no, they're going to raise right, yeah. and they, and they'll just they'll drip feed the pain in. They're not going to say, well, it could go to seven or more. I mean, in eighty two, it was. Um, was it 16 and a half or 17? But in 1982, it took only uh, 44% of household income to service the mortgage because house prices were a lot lower. Mm. Now it now takes in Sydney 62% of household income to service the mortgage. Probably after today, it'll take 68% <laughs> yeah. or something rather, right? Yeah, you know, like, you know, in New South Wales, 70% of people are in rental stress, which means their their um, outflows are greater than their their inflows. Eighty six percent of young families, eighty six percent are in stress. Mm. You know, no wonder locals aren't having more kids. Mm. It's it's too expensive. And then the flip side is sixty nine percent of new immigrants are also in rental stress because they don't know how expensive it is. They're told to bring in sixty thousand dollars Australian to survive on if they're a student, for example. That apparently is not getting enforced anymore. 
Uh, Nepal is the third biggest uh, demographic and the GDP per capita there is $1,200. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how they'd expect $60,000, but you're hearing these, these stories about international students coming in, of which we've got 620,000 of them. And in Melbourne, a survey just came out where of the 180,000 international students in Melbourne, 90,000 are in food stress. They don't have enough to wow. eat and there's growing demand for food banks and for free food and so forth. Yeah, we're creating a real problem. And and why is the government doing this? Because they, they, they're stuck between um, uh, Scylla and Charybdis. Like they're, they're at the point now where they've pushed this Ponzi and it's, it's a Ponzi scheme. It's a Ponzi scheme because you need house prices to keep going up. So you've got to find some more suckers to buy house prices at even higher prices, uh, houses at even higher prices. And you got to just keep bringing more and more and more people in because the thing has gone so mathematically insane that it's impossible for the average person to buy the average house. All right, Matt, we're going to take a very quick break and we'll be right back. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, welcome back to Equity Mates. We are here with Matt Barry, CEO and founder of Freelancer Limited. Outside of policy around immigration, though, there's mm. other government policies, particularly here in, in New South Wales, around you know scrapping stamp duty or at a certain mm. price, uh, and then there's the ho- first home buyers grant, like plenty of yep. policies to give people more ability to spend more on housing. I guess. So, what's your thoughts, just broadly, about? Well, housing policy. Well, in, in terms, if the government ever wants to restructure a tax, I guarantee you they're not going to make less money. There's always a, a, an outcome here. If you look at the New South Wales budget, they're planning to make more money off the, the, the property tax than the stamp yeah. duty. Now, in, you know, in theory, property tax is better than, than stamp duty because stamp duty just basically leads to illiquidity. Mm. You've know, got to pay a huge amount of money just to pay the stamp duty. Mm. And the government loves stamping things. I mean, what, are they, what are they doing in return for that stamp? Nothing. Yeah, here's a document stamp, right? Okay, pay, pay us some stupid number, right? Like it's it's a joke, right? It's an archaic way just to basically get, extract money from people. But yeah, it does lead to um, illiquidity issues. But then likewise, how they want to create this sort of two-tier property tax thing is also going to create illiquidity because some houses will be on the new regime, some will be on the old regime where you don't pay a property tax. And who wants to be buy a house and continue to pay property tax when you can buy a house that 
doesn't have an ongoing property tax mm. in a way. So the the government pol- the government's policy is basically just keep house prices up and keep them growing, yeah. or we've got a banking crisis. And 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 the thing we're at now is, if you haven't watched the movie The Big Short with Steve Carell in it, you should you yeah, should watch the movie. movie. It's a great movie. Um, we are exactly – there are so many echoes of exactly where America was in 2007, 2008 with the global financial crisis there is now. There's a, I mean, there's a famous scene in the movie where uh, Steve Carell's in a strip club and the stripper's there dancing around saying she's got five houses and a condo and she was on what they called in America um, adjustable rate mortgages. These are fixed rate mortgages that lasted two or three years on low teaser rates to get you in mm. that um, these uh, – they call them exploding arms – uh, after two or three years, the interest rate went up higher and they you know, doubled or tripled. And that was basically um, the global financial crisis in the US because all this lending went crazy um, to the point where they were, um, as, as you say, you go into the bank and they don't check your documents. They don't check to see that you've got an income or assets or job mm. or anything like that. And in America, they called them ninja loans. No, no income, no job, no assets. You could go just borrow money and buy a house. It's a bit bit, bit different over there in the US. In, in many circumstances, you can just hand back the keys if you can't pay the, the interest bill. But um, you know, basically, um, everyone was going crazy on houses, and then uh, all the lending was to increasingly lower and lower quality um, borrowers who were unable to pay back these loans, and then the, and then the mortgages reset. And they doubled or tripled. Mm. And guess what's happening right now? So yeah. there's a, a, lot, a lot of people were on 1.95% mortgages during COVID here in Australia, and they're now being reset. And what, what's a mortgage now currently? Five and a half. Well, uh, try a bit higher. It's <laughs> 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 wishful thinking looking for home. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I, 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 you go on Twitter and you see, I mean, that it's, it's, Australia's very, it's very hard in Australia to figure out what the price of anything to do with housing costs. It's the only place in the world where you need voodoo uh, to figure out what, how much a house costs, right? <laughs> Everywhere else you go get, here's a bunch of houses for sale, here's their price. Yeah. Yeah. In Australia, the average house price is contact agent. Yeah, right? yeah well, and- Bryce has been lamenting that every place that does have a price listed or a price range yep. listed just gets blown it's out. It's plus 20% yeah. to start. Yeah. Before you even well, speak to anyone, plus 20%. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think, I mean, there's this whole thing about underquoting whatever. I don't really think the, the agents in many ways to blame. I mean, most of these agents don't have a brain to be that conniving, right? Like, um, no, I think you, it's just demand, isn't there, it? There was, a, there was a point in time actually where I actually looked at a bunch of different houses and um, I'd go in and I'd write, fill in a spreadsheet and I'd go, how many bedrooms, bathrooms, whatever, what price do they tell me it will sell for? And then down the track, I would follow up and see what price did it sell for. Now, in New South Wales, they're actually not required to publish the price or tell you who owns the property or anything like that. That's why Transparency National says it's such a bad market for money laundering. But, um, but you know, in some circumstances, you could get the price, what have you. And let me tell you, I looked at 50 homes and I looked at the price the agent told me and the price it sold for, and guess what the deviation was between the two of them? You're closer to this 25 25%. 0.56%. They were spot on every time. Oh, really? I just couldn't believe it. I was like, these guys are not savants. Mm. Yeah, how is this happening? And I, and I think what was happening is I think the software they use to um, manage the whole process just tells them the number and it just ends up being that number, right? It's kind of like maybe a bit of tail wags the dog yeah, a, a, a okay, little okay, bit, yeah, but yeah, yeah. whatever software system they're using just tells them this will be the price and it ends up just being the price for whatever reason. I, it just seemed weird to me that it was so accurate. But um, And then, of course, that software system is constantly adjusting the prices and they're constantly changing probably based on a bunch of different factors. But... Um, but yeah, we're just, we're just at the point now where the, the, the math doesn't work. So just like in the US where, you know, your mortgage went up, doubled or tripled, 
you know, um, I think the rates I saw on Twitter just recently, uh, you know, you've got some sixes in there, you've got some sevens in there. Um, and I think I saw a couple of eights under certain circumstances. And I think there's so many tricks with bank accounts in Australia now and mortgages now, like anywhere else in the world, you can pretty much get a bank account and it just pays you interest. In Australia, the Commonwealth Bank pays 0% interest, 000 and you, then you have to have like this online saver account mm-hmm. and you got to play this like play this stupid game of like shuffling money around to actually get any interest. And then you, you know, you got you to put your wage in there and it's going to be paying in every month and you can have so many withdrawals per month yeah, and you yeah. got to pay the ATM. Fee. It's a joke, right? <laughs> you know, you have, you have a bank account in the US and it just pays you interest, mm. right? <laughs> yeah, 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 that's it, right? Uh, and it's the same with mortgages, right? So you see these teaser mortgages, what have you, and then you read the fine print and you've got to, you've got to like, have your um, savings account with them and this, that, the other. So when you actually get down here, if you don't want any of that and you want to figure out actually how much is just a mortgage, Mm. right? If I don't want to move all my banking to you and, you know, sign over your firstborn son and, you know, know, this, (laughs) that, the other. It is not the headline. It's not, you know, and, and, you know, I think it's, it looks like it's, you know, seven eights and who knows where it will be after today, right? I want to get to how this ends because Mm. the death of the Australian property market has been called before. Um, I, I remember... John Hampton in like the mid 2010s did that tour of Western Sydney and yep. you know they pretended to be a couple and they'd go and they they called a bubble yeah, John, band. Jonathan Tepper. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I very, think very uh, perception. you you had a article oh, yeah. calling a bubble. 2017, yeah. And uh, we, we've got a we've got a good mate uh, Joe Walker who I think you might know, but he's been calling bubbles for years yeah. and. Yeah. Um, you, you probably none of you are wrong. It's just that the the property market keeps powering well, on. So how, do, how does this end? Well, you, I mean, the the, the lesson. I mean, it's it was, it was a great time back then, twenty seventeen. I wrote Australia's um, economy as a house of cards, and yet yeah. I know John Hempton quite well. Actually, his brothers, um, and yeah, he was he was running around with um, with Jonathan Tepper who um, studied bubbles around the world from mm. the, the tulip bubble in, in, in Holland in, was it, 1400s or something rather? And he said, Australia is the only housing market I know where they auction off middle-class houses like fine paintings. <laughs> you know, like, like, it, like to an American, it's a bizarre thing where people mm. turn up to an auction and what is this? And everyone gets excited. Now, oh, congratulations, you've outbid and paid more than the other guy, right? Like it's... Insane, and and at the time I pointed out how insane it was, and the numbers just weren't working. But you know, continued government intervention, you can kick the can down the road a long time. It turns out a very long time, far longer than you might think. And they've done that with a variety of policies, and they've, they've done it with historically low rates. Mm. I mean, the COVID was unpredictable, mm. so, and and. Um, and all the immigration and this, that, the other. But the answer to all of this, if you, where does it end up, is maths, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, maths eventually comes in and maths doesn't work anymore. Mm. And I saw this week talking about um, transportation costs. There was, there was an article, I can't remember which um, newspaper it was in, and it said, you know, tolls have gone up and you've got petrol and you've got this, that, the other. And... Um, it said the average um, cost of transportation in the average household budget now is 15%. Okay, well, if that's 15% and it's 62% to service mm. the mortgage, right, then how much is it left is left to eat, yeah. right, or do other stuff mm. and pay for school fees, you know, healthcare and just all the normal stuff people – and you eventually run out of money, right? And you can pump new people into the economy as much as you want from overseas – but, you know, I just don't think that the math works out anymore, mm. right? Because we're not bringing in, um, 
yeah, there are a lot of millionaires that do move to Australia, but um, I just don't think the math works. And so people can take the pain for a little while and then eventually things break. And I think the big, the thing I see, it's amazing. You get, you get look at the GFC with the adjustable rate mortgages tripling and so forth. You look at what's happened with, with our rate, our fixed rates. So this $350 billion this year of fixed rates mortgages reset. This quarter's the quarter. This is the June quarter. I think it's like 17% of all fixed rate uh, of that 350 billion um, resets this quarter, 15% next quarter. And they're not resetting 10, 20%. They're resetting, you know, 200, 300% plus. So then you look at in America, what's happened recently in the banking sector uh, with Silicon Valley Bank. So I went, I was actually over in Canada at my, my office in Vancouver. I was trying to take a couple of days off in between to go skiing. Of course, every time I try and take some time off, something blows up around the world. And what blew up that day was Silicon Valley Bank. Now, Silicon Valley Bank uh, is one of the largest banks in America. It banks 50% of the tech sector in America. And business was great. So its deposits like tripled in like three or four years, right? It was like $180 billion of the deposits from 60, something like that. What had happened what causes banking crisis in this bank where business was going really, really well because you had this big boom in tech. Mm. You know, people are raising, you know, these startups are raising more and more money. You had this whole unicorn phenomena. Mm. You know, people are now talking about, I raised a seed round of 50 million US. Yeah. Yeah. Seed? <laughs> That's like not series A or B. That's series yeah. Z. Yeah. Right? Like what a seed round of 50 million US. Like, I mean, it's you're just, nice you're, if you can get you're just, it. You're just flexing now. It's, it's my seed round. Don't worry. It's 50 million. I know lazy 50 behind the couch, right? So, so, so they're raising tons and tons of money. And then um, Silicon Valley Bank had all these deposits and um, was trying to figure out what to do with it, right? It kind of ran out of things to lend money to. You know, there's only so much money you can lend to startups, especially cash burning startups. So what did it do with the money? It bought mortgage-backed securities. Mm. So it bought 80, I think 81, 82 billion dollars US of mortgage-backed securities and some T-bills and uh, an average yield of 1.56%. Now, when the Fed hiked rates to five from basically zero, why would you want to hold a 1.56% uh, 10-year mortgage-backed security when you can get at call, you know, you can go to a US bank and three, get 3% in your deposit account, yeah. unlike the Australian banks, which pay you 0.00, right? Mm-hmm. And you got to do this shuffling around and get an accountant to move your money every month to kind of extract some of the yield out of the account, right? It's a joke. What happened was in May of last year, you had a bit of a tech wreck, right? So it started with the crypto crash. I was an adjunct professor of cryptography for 14 years at University of Sydney. I mean, this whole crypto space has been just fraud all the way through, right? I mean, Bitcoin is a fantastic invention for sending money overseas without government intervention, but it's it's never been a store of wealth and all this hot money has flown into it to try and figure out um, how to shuffle money around the world, whether it's hot or extremely hot money. And in fact, at one point, 90, 98% of volume in the in Bitcoin was money getting out of China. Oh, wow. That's where it went after the casinos stopped working. You used to go to Macau, get your money out of China through Macau, then it was the Australian casinos and the mm-hmm. British Columbia casinos. When that stopped working, it went to Bitcoin, Bitcoin. and then trying to crack down on it, right? And then they tried all these smurfing, smurfing um, things where they would send money, $50,000 at a time, under $50,000, just under the limit to you know, banks in Hong Kong, and then try and extract it all out to go buy an apartment in Sydney or what have you, or Melbourne. Um, <laughs> So it's exactly what I did, right? Like you laugh, it's exactly what I did. So you look at Silicon Valley Bank, right? So they put all the money into mortgages and then uh, crypto crash happened uh, because surprise, it was just all, you know, every scam you had before the markets got regulated, 
you know, over the, over the last you know, hundred years, uh, came back and got reinvented. You know, painting the tape. You know, walking up you know, prices of things uh, like the NFT market. You know, monkey JPEGs. Who ever thought that was a good investment? Like seriously, but everyone lost their minds, right? Because what was happening was a few people were painting the tape. I sell it to you. You pass it. You pass it to you. you pass it around in a circle, just walking the price up. And eventually, some stupid NBA basketball or Paris Hilton comes along and buys the monkey JPEG. And hey, hey, hey! I've got a receipt. Look, I've sold it. That's how I got my hot money out from you know, my drug cartel in you know, Colombia or whatever, right? Or Bondi Beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so if you so if you look at Look at Silicon Valley Bank. Crypto crash happened. Tech crash followed that. VCs withdrew funding um, uh, massively. Uh, that led to a, a big cratering in um, technology stock prices. And then um, the you know startups are cash burning, right? Because they're not profitable yet. Otherwise, they go public or, or what have you. So the bank balances at Silicon Valley Bank were being drawn down further and further and further and further. And it was a bit deeper and a bit longer than Silicon Valley Bank expected. And they put a bit too, bit too much money in these 10-year mortgages. Now, if, you, if the startups wanted to wait 10 years, they'll get their money back. But in the short term, they had a bit of a duration mismatch. They had to kind of sell these mortgage-backed securities to get let the startups withdraw cash. And um, it's, it's kind of funny, actually. Um, it, it, it got to a point where they're like, oh, oh, we have to kind of sell all our um, um, available to sell securities. So they, they dumped um, that, that security book and they lost $22 billion. And, um, you know, there's a lot of commentary in the leading up to that, 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 gee, this looks a bit risky. Silicon Valley Bank could be in trouble. And I remember I'm, I'm in a group with all the top tech CEOs in the country. And I was like, guys, there's no, I mean, guys, like there's no way they're going to let Silicon Valley Bank fall over. This is such a systemically important bank. There is just no way. I mean, just mark my words. I'm skiing today. I've finally taken a day off. <laughs> like, like the VCs will come out today and they'll all say, you know, we stand behind Silicon Valley Bank. You know, there's money available, et cetera, and so forth. You know, we unite. It's so important. What have you. You know, 10 minutes later, Peter Thiel, get out. Then some of my mates sent, sent a, forwarded an email from Union Square Ventures, get out. And then Founders Fund, get out. And I was like, and you should have seen it in this group. Everyone's like, ah, like, like get out. And, right. and they go, there goes my scheme. And it was just like, yeah, I sat, uh, just, it was just insane. And of course, that led to a solvency crisis. And, uh, and, then, then the, and then effectively, the Fed had to step in and go, well, we're going to guarantee not just the, the 250 grand, we're going to guarantee all deposits, right? And of course, with Silicon Valley Bank, it's quite pronounced because the deposits were large because bank um, startups held, you know, $50 million you know, deposits. Now, you look at Australia. So you look at the Commonwealth Bank, right? And this is bigger than Goldman Sachs. Um, and, you know, the financial results look pretty good, right? And Australian banks are essentially better run than other banks around the world, right? So it all looks, it looks hunky-dory. It looks great, right? But... If you look at one side of their book, which is their assets, right? It's all you know, $639 billion worth of residential back mortgages and 150 of business loans and uh, business is not doing so well. So the business deposits have been dropping, right? And um, there's very little in terms of consumer lending. That's uh, like 17 billion. And then you look at deposits and deposits have been doing pretty well. Why? Because we're bringing in a Canberra size of population of people every year that need a bank account. And where do you go? You go to the Commonwealth Bank and ANZ and so forth, open a bank account. So it's capitalizing the banks and the, the banks are in a much better place than they were in the GFC. In the GFC, they were insolvent. Mm. They were totally reliant on overseas funding, US funding. And then when that freezed up, 
they were basically insolvent and the Australian government had to come in and lend the AAA credit rating in order to guarantee um, the, the, the borrowing and that unfroze it. So they've got, you know, they've got, they've got now got, I think, 75% of their mortgage book or, or loan books is covered by deposits. So they're definitely better capitalised than the, the GFC. However, look at Silicon Valley Bank, look at the Australian situation. In the GFC, and, and also look at the GFC, in the GFC, you had a problem with default correlation. We always you had a recession. And the, the, in Australia, the two tens curve is just, your curve is just inverted, which is a signal for, for recession. And in a recession, uh, people tighten up spending, you know, people lose their jobs and you have um, uh, loans get defaulted on. You know, Australia is at the point now where people can't afford their mortgages. They can't afford to rent. You know, they're all in rental stress. 70% of New South Wales you know, citizens are at the rent are in rental stress. Interest rates are getting to a point where the math doesn't work out anymore. So could you have a mass default correlation event, even though the bank's been done, done pretty well and you know, by global standards, great, and market cap bigger than Goldman Sachs, could everyone suddenly at the same time in a correlated fashion not be able to pay their mortgages? And at the same time, if times are bad, could the cash deposits get drawn down just like at Silicon Valley Bank? I, I think it's plausible. If that's the thesis and you can definitely see it, I guess, mm. do you have like a time frame on how, I mean, we were talking about in 2017. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those things. It's like if you've got the, you know, people talk about this mortgage cliff and it's coming, it's going to affect people. Been the, I think in the grand scheme of things, you said it's what 17% of all mortgages are going to have this cliff. Like it's, it's not mortgage, like yeah. 60% of Australians are going to experience this. So h- how do you, how do you f- well, put one, a time frame on, on one, something one like this? One third of Australians are not affected um, because they own their own home, right? Uh, one yeah. third of a mortgage and one third rent. Look, uh, I think the thing about now that just when I watched that movie Big Short again, it just resonates, is, is the rapid uh, reset of, of those exploding arm mortgages right and right now we've got a rapid reset and it's not a 10 percent increase 20 percent increase it's you know 200 300 plus the reset of your mortgage and people like to feel wealthy when they borrow money they think oh wow you know you, you go read the you know herald or um you know uh telegraph and it's you know unemployed train driver uh, earning less than McDonald's workers now has a property portfolio of 40 million dollars worth of houses right like yeah yeah, yeah like people love to borrow to the gills mm. and makes them feel wealthy. They own all this property. Well, they don't. The bank owns it. And a, and a mild change in interest rate and you're gone, right? You know, yes, there was extreme leverage in 2017 when I wrote the article, but now you've got a rapid reset of a major cost and you've got inflation at a rate that it wasn't at before. I mean, things just got – it was bad – Things got more and more and more expensive. And friends would come visit from overseas, come to Australia, and go, gee, lots of things are expensive. This is kind of ridiculous, whatever. But but now it's the point where it's just insane. I mean, 70 bucks for a steak down the pub. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like, so, they, they have to be taking the piss. What are, like, what's next? Is like the, so, to answer your so, question, Bryce, the yeah. when, when it gets to 100 bucks a steak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So asking for a friend then, if, yeah. you, if they're looking for a house... <laughs> What would one be doing? Is it a, just a sit and wait? Like, well, I see, I see, I see. It's just a crazy market in terms of housing because, first of all, there's, there's very little transparency in what really is going on. 
So on one hand, you'll hear a narrative that, oh, yeah, some house prices are falling 20% from the peaks and yeah. blah, blah, blah. On the other hand, you see these ridiculous prices mm -hmm. and it's just very hard to get a picture of actually what really is going on. I mean, REA is about 74% of News Corp's market cap. Domain's about 34% of Fairfax's market cap, at least when I checked it last, right? So, so it's not in the best interest of the media to tell you housing market's yeah, yeah. stuffed, mm -hmm. right? It's just a very hard thing to get a to get a, a proper picture of what's of, of what's going on and I, I just the maths now if you add it up right you add up how what percentage you know the average mortgage and you know what percentage of household income goes into that and what goes into transportation and energy Australia's raised prices by 20 25 percent and you know every you know you add all the costs up like it, 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 where's the money going to come from it's going to draw down savings and they've been unlocking super you know, during COVID, yeah. you could unlock super. And one of the reasons you could unlock super was to pay off your home mm. um, loan if you're in, at risk of losing your home. Yeah. Now, on one, one side, the libertarian in me might say, well, it's your money, so you do whatever you want to do with it, right? On the other hand, well, maybe st stupid thing to do. And I think another telltale sign is you go look, on, you go look online now on REA or whatever you for places to rent. And I was, I was pretty amazed. I do a browse through and you, you look through Paddington and it's like, you know, 8,000 a week, 9,000 a week, 10,000 a week, 12,000 a week. I'm going, what the hell? These are not amazing houses. These are just your average whatever house. But I think the telltale sign is you look at them and half of them are fully furnished and they're not furnished as in for rental. These are Someone premium can. furnishings. Yeah. So it's obviously someone's moved out in a hurry because they can't pay their mortgage anymore. And they're like, shit, can someone else pay this? And the, the, the math works out that that's how much they have to pay. And no one's going to pay that. No. No. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so, so I think you could have default correlation. You could have the same with Silicon Valley Bank. You could have cash balances being drawn down. You could have people not being able to pay their mortgages all at the same time. And you've got a massive reset of rates and at the same time as pretty much out of control inflation. And if the RBA is not game enough to temper the inflation. And typically, if you want to stop inflation, the policy rate needs to be above, you know, yeah. inflation, right? Typically, typically, you've got a thing called the Taylor Rule, which you can, you know, some people look at. But, you know, intuitively, if inflation is running at 7%, why would you keep your money in a bank account at 4%? Yeah. Because you just want to spend it, you yeah. maybe buy a house or what have you, to try because you know you're going to build some wealth and that's been a for 61 years it's been a phenomenal trade to buy a house and own a house in Australia right but if inflation's at seven what rate do you need the bank paying interest on uh, in your savings account to kind of pull that back mm -hmm. yes you can make mortgages completely unaffordable and tighten lending practices which is going to happen which is happening right now but but you also need to attract people to put money into the bank account and it's kind of weird when the major banks pay you zero yeah. They literally pay you zero unless you go open a second account and then you shuffle around and, and this and the other. You know, Australia had this – this is not the first time it happened to Australia. In the 1800s, we um, – I think it was 1851, we discovered gold in Ballarat. You know, a huge number of migrants come to Australia to, to seek their fortune with, with, with gold, uh, gold mining and so forth, and we had a big property boom as a result because a lot of people in limited supply of houses and you had a massive property boom. Mm. And it was – in Sydney, Melbourne, it was exactly the same, right? Like, you know, house prices just went through the roof, land prices went through the roof. And they had a banking crisis. Mm -hmm. And uh, in 18, 1890, you had some contagion uh, with the banks and they all had to kind of shut for a little period of time and so forth. And um, it took 70 years, if you bought at the peak, to make your money back on the house. 70, 70, 70. That's scary. Oh, no. Oh, no. 70. 
that's the rest of our life if we're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to include... Longer NASDAQ. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to... Well, I think that's... It's worth... Like, people will be listening to this and getting scared, you know. Like, mm. you, if you're in Australia, your job and your salary is tied likely to the Australian company or the Australian subsidiary you work for. If you want to buy a house, it's in Australia. But the stock market gives you an opportunity to buy overseas markets in overseas currencies. And that's an important thing to remember. Or you can just go and buy gold. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but Matt, we want to... Uh, so we'll, we'll include the full transcript to your speech in the show notes if people want to read it. And I would recommend reading it because it's, it's a good read. Um, very well researched and quite funny as well. In the audience when you gave this speech were some heavy hitters for New South Wales. I believe the Premier, Chris Minns, was there or he was... The yeah, he spoke around. after me actually. He wasn't there when I was speaking. Uh, he, so, probably, he, probably, he, probably, he probably got a full brief. I'm sure he did. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you a so, funny story about that. Yeah, actually, what was the reaction? Yeah. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, so I, I was actually asked to give this speech last year at the same conference last year. So it was originally scheduled to be held um, much, much earlier on. I was, I was kind of surprised and interested that they kind of wanted me to be the opening keynote before the Premier and before the Ministers and all the, you know, the yeah, Productivity have- Commissioner. I thought in the Opera House Australia CEO, what I thought, okay, it's kind of interesting, I guess. Yeah, and I spoke to the conference organising. Well, I've seen you, you know, do keynotes at other conferences and you certainly make the conference more exciting. So, <laughs> people, so people talk about it and, yeah, you know, yeah. there's this debate and, and, and... Put it this way, we would have had no idea that SMH put this conference on if it wasn't for your speech. <laughs> well, they deep-sixed it. So I'll tell, I tell, I tell you what happened. So, um, so they asked me to be the opening keynote and I actually thought about... Actually, I actually talked about my, my article. Um, I thought... Uh, so in the transcript, I said, you know, I thought, you know, why should I, why should I do this opening keynote? Well, like, what, what, why, why me, right? Like, why, how am I relevant to this, right? I mean, ages ago, I did write a few pieces on uh, other issues. Yeah, on um, the lockout. And yeah, yeah, I think people will be familiar. Yeah, I wrote a piece called um, Would the Last Person in Sydney Please Turn the Lights Out yeah. in 2016? Mm. Now, I was again skiing in Canada when that happened. <laughs> and I kid you not, I was just there going, oh, should I write this or should I not write this, right? It's all about the lockout laws and what actually was really going on because back then everyone thought, oh, Australians, it's because we can't handle our alcohol and oh, it's because we're violent and... That's why ma- toxic masculinity, right? I was like, that horse shit. It's nothing to do with that. It's, it's again about property. Yeah. It's about it's about the twenty billion dollar, I think, at the time, property portfolio in Willamaloo, which is all housing commission, which you could, which is the most amazing location mm. for property, mm. but you can't clear that out and build apartment blocks while you've got Kings Cross there. So let's build a new um, uh, zone in Barangaroo. We'll zone it 24-7. We'll move the nightlife there. We'll make up some fake health and safety crisis. We'll fund a few non-profit groups to go a bit crazy or whatever, and we'll get the media to turn, chime in so they can pretend like they're relevant. And um, and what we'll do is we'll just move we'll, – we'll just rezone all this area. We'll make less money on apartment blocks and um, and then subsequent taxes, and we'll just move, move it, and it'll be a nice nightlife anyway. Of course, that was the plan. It didn't work like that. And um, I was there going, should I actually write something to kind of explain what's going on? Because today in the media, it's all 500-word articles because they're driving the Google ad click machine. So you just need to have, you need to have a headline. You know, I stumbled across a blind dog. You, you wouldn't guess what happened next. And kind of you know, <laughs> click on the headline and bang, they get some ad revenue, right? So I was in Canada skiing and I thought, oh, should I write this or not? So every day after I'd ski, I'd sit in the jacuzzi for an hour and write a little bit and do it again and again. And then eventually I got to the end of it and I said, should I write this? Should I publish this or not? My friend goes, oh, yeah, do it. And by the way, here's a list of ministers you should send it to. I've got, I used to, he's in the Liberal Party. He's like, here's a list of Liberal Party ministers and 
and so forth. And I said, oh, should I see email? And he goes, yeah, crazy people email all the time. Don't worry about it. So then I ended up emailing all the ministers, both sides and so forth. But anyway, I woke up the next day and um, the, I, I, on LinkedIn, I was an influencer, one of the 100 influencers globally. <laughs> and um, it got 1 million reads in two days. Wow. And then on the Wednesday afterwards, 16,000 people marched. Yeah. yeah, so that was a bit crazy. Um, anyway, so I thought, why, why would I be relevant with this? I don't know. I was, it, was, it was late. I was trying to go get a meal and um, I went down to Victoria Street. We used to have all these cafes and restaurants down in Victoria Street. I thought, I'll get a meal. And it was about nine o'clock and I went into Tropicana. I thought, can yeah. I get something cheap and cheerful? Sorry, kitchen closed. Walked down the street, kitchen closed. Um, you know, Uma's closed, everyone's closed. I thought, oh, shit, I guess it's Betty's Burgers and um, yeah. up at the poo on sticks. So I'll go and have a Betty's Burger. I went in there and I go, okay, can I please? Sorry, kitchen closed yeah. at like 9, 11 uh, p.m. And so then I thought, oh, I was so frustrated. I thought, this, this city is like maximum difficulty. Like, <laughs> like I swear it was 10 o'clock that the, the, the restaurants used to close. Now it's 9 o'clock, mm. right? This is ridiculous. So I tweeted, what does it take to get a meal in Sydney after 9 anymore? And the answers were hilarious. It was like um, an alarm clock so you wake up earlier or uh, a taxi or kebab or maccas or a sledgehammer. Um, and the best was a time machine back to 15 or 20 years. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I should do that keynote. So, but I, so I said I'll do it. But then I think Perite found out about it. Now, I didn't mind Perite at all. I thought, um, you know, uh, I, I actually thought, you know, he's it, kind of a weird guy because he's very, very, very religious then at the same time, he's a libertarian, right? So he's the guy that came in and said, okay, well, we'll just get rid of the, the vax passports and all this sort of stuff and open things up. So I, th I think it was actually pretty good. Um, but apparently he said, oh, if Matt's speaking, we'll have to wait till after the election. And uh, then he didn't get in and then Chris Mins got in. So, <laughs> so in the conference, yeah. So anyway, so I was, I, was there, I was there at the conference and I, I came in and gave, gave, gave the talk and of course went off the reservation basically. Yeah. Um, and there's a video of it actually. There's a recording. That, surprising enough, Fairfax was not recording the conference, which is strange for running what I think was a reasonably important conference. So my comms guy just flicked his iPhone on the table and just recorded it. Um, it was quite funny because one third of the audience was just in hysterics the entire time. Uh, one third was like, should I laugh or not laugh? I feel very nervous because they're all, it's a thirteen hundred dollars a ticket. So it's, it was all consultants to the government and this and the other. And they weren't quite sure what to do, but you see that smirking and nodding their head furiously. And then you had one third in sheer terror. <laughs> I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> You're not supposed to say this. And I was trying to get a reading for what um, uh, Bevan and, the, and uh, Michael, the journalist, were, were, were thinking. But I, I think it was very clear after that 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 was it, not writing about this conference at all. So they wrote, there's two articles that came out entirely from the entire conference. One was that uh, Chris Min said we should build more apartments going up and that's how we'll get the housing supply going. And then another article was on Australia, uh, Sydney is overlooked for food. It's overlooked. Cause, yeah, because food's great and it's, uh, food is great. <laughs> it's overlooked for food. Even if it's 70 bucks a steak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Food is great. It's yeah. just expensive and obviously yeah. not open late enough. <laughs> yeah, correct. Jeez. Well, Matt, unfortunately we have run out of time but it's been an enthralling conversation. We've certainly um, – well, I've certainly really enjoyed it and I know that a lot of our community will – We'll have taken a lot out of it. You've left us with a lot to think about, including me, because I'm sitting here in the midst of all of this, just being like, what is going on? It's just so hard, as you said, to get a read on the market and how things are actually panning out. But we do have one final question. Every expert that comes on the show is automatically entered into our expert of the year. Oh, God. 
And it's an opportunity for our community to just uh, celebrate those that come onto the show and help them in some way, shape or form with their investing and money journey and to help them vote at the end of the year for the expert. If you can let us know where you would put the uh, nice gold trophy or glass trophy, it's not exactly that one, but it'll look something similar. Where would you put it uh, if you were to win it? Where would I put it? Yeah. I'd fill those ass. <laughs> you know what, that's the best answer. Wow. wow. If you don't win, <laughs> if you don't win, then okay. Nice. I'm glad we asked that question. <laughs> oh, that's well, great. Much appreciated, Matt. Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, very much looking forward to having you back on at some at some stage and sure. uh, getting a bit of an update on um, on how you're thinking about things. Very okay, much appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.